Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Addicted to the Man, our podcast uh, with Henny Kovac, and I am your host, Henny, and I am happy to um, have Jennifer Giordano with me today, um, who we will talk to about breaking the cycle of being the victim. Something like that. That's going to be <laughs> that's going to be the theme for today. So um, before we start getting into the questions, I wanted Jennifer to give a little bit of background about yourself. And um, I have specifically two questions. Uh, one, when I was reading your response or, or questionnaire yesterday, what really uh, struck me is you said uh, that you're high maintenance and you view that as a negative thing. And so I'm wondering, what does that mean to be high maintenance? And how did Peru change you? And how did plant medicine change you in this regard? Because I feel like there's there's a flow to it, right? Yeah. Okay. And the other well, question... Well, how many women, how many women do you know call themselves high maintenance because it's been told to them that they are high maintenance. And so they take that on as a truth, right? When we can go into a lot here that has to do with being a strong and empowered and independent and sovereign woman. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. And that's why I wanted to ask this question because um, even though you have taken this step, you still feel that that's how you want to describe yourself, correct? Like high maintenance. And I just feel like we've been stuck in this good girl, you know, don't make any noise kind of thing. And then anything more than that is considered high maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I want you, I want you to much. touch. Yes, exactly. And then um, another question I had is how did you break the lineage pattern in your family um, of women who married bad boys? How yeah. did you do that? And what what even how 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 could you even see that there's a pattern for that and then how can you get out of it because i feel like these patterns these generational patterns are so hardwired into us that it just sneaks up on you and next thing you know you're like wow i'm doing the same thing as my mother as my grandmother so i'm wondering how did you how yeah. did you how did you do that good so those are two very profound and deep conversations. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll first introduce myself. Um, I am what you would call a metaphysician or a embodiment mentor. Mm -hmm. um, I've been working primarily with men since 2014 with about 20% of my clients being of the feminine uh, identity. And now my work has transitioned. It's like the inner marriage of the male, male energies within myself really needed a deep dive and a deep study in healing work and assisting men through their process of connecting in healthy ways with the feminine. So now I'm transitioning to working a lot more sharing my wisdom with women 
And I want to read something that I did with a divine brother of mine. His name is Matthias. Um, he helps people to find their voice in a graceful way. Mm -hmm. uh, he has a whole process that's called uh, developing your manifesto for leading with confident vulnerability. And see, these two things in our world are polarizing. Like if you're confident, you can't really look like you're vulnerable. And if mm -hmm. you're a vulnerable person, you're weak, right? But vulnerability yeah. Yeah. is strength. It is not the, anti the opposite of strength. Vulnerability and humility, these are, these are um, aspects and characteristics of a human being that can be expressed as strength. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to just read what I was basically riding right before we got on this okay. call. This is something that's like an introduction to who is this woman, Jennifer, and why is she here? And why is she telling her story? And why does her story matter? So I wrote, I, Jen Giordano, am ready now to proceed forward with generous joy and grace. Those are two values I want to bring more of in the world. So I have to embody that joy and mm -hmm. embody that graciousness. I'm here to touch, uh, teach, <laughs> not touch, teach, teach with fearless authenticity, leading others into a discovery of emotional and energetic blocks that hinder their progress so they can live from the heart. I invite every person I serve or influence to join me in awakening their innate gifts to live in bliss. Don't we deserve to live in bliss? I know it sounds impossible, and yet I have experienced it. So I've been able to see that it is possible. Mm -hmm. It is possible to live a daily experience of bliss and peace, but it begins with you deciding it and cutting out the victim thoughts. Yes. Literally setting them on the shelf and letting them come in like clouds, but not attending to them, not not believing them, not embodying and bringing those thoughts in because they, they live up there, mm -hmm. right? And they're going to come through. Just don't make your actions align with victim thoughts, victim mm -hmm. mentalities. I invite, again, every person I serve or influence to join me in awakening their innate gifts, living in bliss, as we witness their abilities together while creating awareness for obstacles to their growth. I refuse to accept that I can't live abundantly doing my soul's work purpose and living that vision or that I must battle with evil forces. I am thankful I have so much diverse life experience to extract wisdom from it and share my experience, strength and hope with others. Now, I will tell you, I started as a child in a, uh, a church with a lot of love and my father was a Baptist minister. My mother was his, you know, wife. So she assisted in his ministry and they would take gang members off the streets, hmm. very violated, traumatized young boys who would become gang members. And my father had a gift to joke with them and, and bring humor mm -hmm. to the pain that they were experiencing. And that drew them in like, okay, this guy's, he's a homie, he's cool, right? Mm -hmm. He was a hell's angel. So he could understand their, their plight. And he brought them into the church and everything was great for the first three, three years of my life. I had a lot of love. 
And then the experience of love started to fade when my father lost his congregation and had a dark night of the soul. He lost all the respect of his congregation and everyone left him and he felt abandoned. He felt alone. He felt rejected and his ego took over and he went right back to the old lifestyle mm. before he became a pastor mm. and like abandoned my mother emotionally and she had to leave him. So here was the, I was daddy's little girl. So here was this, this trauma at three years old. And then at four, my stepfather, my mother remarried and my stepfather started to take over as caretaker and he was very dominant and very controlling and very abusive and the reactivity in him was daily constantly just grabbing my arm throwing me around when i would do basic things a four-year-old does so my softness started to become hard yeah i started to build a shield uh an energy shield uh, I started to be defiant with him, defiant with authority and pushing because if I didn't, he would break me and mm -hmm. I would go the other way. So instead of going down the path of um, becoming weak, becoming um, in some ways um, fragile or quiet, I became bold. I became strong. I became a fighter. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I, I know women can relate to this who have had to defend, protect themselves for a large part of their life. And, and men too. Yeah. Um, so I started to believe that I could achieve anything, I could push through anything because I always had this resistance with my stepfather until I was 15. There was mm -hmm. always that resistance there. The other thing is that there was inappropriate touch and I realized my body or I, I developed a belief that I'm unlovable unless my body, I allow my body to be touched in certain mm -hmm. ways. Mm -hmm. So. He would tickle me in places that are inappropriate to touch a child. Yeah. And he would act as if this is play. So then another belief, another layer came in. My body doesn't belong to me. I have to give it away to get love. Yes. I have to let people touch my body in certain ways. So by eight years old and then by 15, I was very sexualized. I was watching Madonna. I was watching Paula Abdul. And I became that victim identity that really victimized herself with her mm -hmm. behaviors, yeah. with her choice in clothing, with her choice in words. But it was the only way I knew how to have power. Yeah. Was to express myself sensually and sexually. And that was a form of power and seductive. And I could use my innocence. So I began using myself. 15, 16, 17, mm -hmm. 18. Then I, then I had a Christian awakening. I lived with some Christians, my aunt and uncle, and I wanted to be more pure. And so I became, you know, a renewed virgin again at 18. Then I thought, okay, this is fix This will fix it. Right. Yeah. Going into the religion, it will protect me. Yeah. That didn't last long when I went to Hawaii for school because you have to be who you really are and express yourself authentically. Um, it, it, 
when you are just a fierce kind of independent empath sovereign soul there's no way you can you can live in that bubble that box mm-hmm. yeah so ask your first question again and and tell me what is what is what is the inspiration for this question it's um high maintenance is, is yeah mm-hmm. well because you know lately it's been coming up to me uh for me this rebirth, what, what a rebirth means and the, the evolution of consciousness, the three levels uh, where it's the camel and the lion and the child. And when we're in the camel stage, that means we're just dull, lifeless, repressed, right? And then when we realize that this is happening to us, we come into this lion that just wants to roar and just be out there and, you know, like want to have this power. And I've experienced these levels, but these neither one of these levels is is somewhere that I want to stay because that roaring stage, you know. And why why I ask this question is because you're saying high maintenance. That that to me kind of feels like oh, I'm still roaring, you know, like I'm I'm just just listen to me. I'm high maintenance and and all of that. And I realize that that none of this is a, a, an ending point. We have to go through these stages because we have to experience these, but then emerge as the child, innocent, and without all that resentment and that anger. And I feel like there's so much false empowerment for women nowadays. Absolutely. That, and and when we, when we make these, you know, um, references, like, you know, if I'm not conforming to what a woman should be like, then I'm high maintenance. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to challenge that and say, can we present it in a different way mm-hmm. and not call it that? Um, because to me, it would be, if I'm saying about myself that I am high maintenance, that I, I feel like I am, I'm still in that oh, angry, you know, I want to be heard. See, that's your perception. So let me reframe, yeah. let me reframe your perception. If you knew me, you would know that I take on these negative traits as a, a joke, mm-hmm. as in an email, when you are putting words down, is very different than if you express them through voice and through expression with conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I say I'm high maintenance to someone, it's owning the fact that I have standards, I have boundaries, mm-hmm. and I care about loving myself. I care about the fact that most of the women out there that will settle, that will accept certain behaviors, yeah. that will never speak up when they feel that little tingling sensation on their arms or in the back of their neck. It's like that. what that woman said to me feels really competitive. No, I will speak up and I will say, this is the way I want to be treated. You have a choice to treat me this way or not. Mm -hmm. And high maintenance is not a bad thing or a negative thing to me. It means that in order to maintain a connection and a relationship with a woman like me, you must show up as a higher version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I have worked on showing up as a higher version of myself. Mm-hmm. 
And that does take work. It yeah. is maintenance. It's maintaining higher uh, vibrations of thought, deed, action, everything. Mm -hmm. So when you own that, that, that desires that you have and the wishes that you have and you own your likes and your dis dislikes, you, you can't be shaken. You can't be knocked off of your center because mm -hmm. you know what they are and you lay firm, grounded boundaries about what is and what isn't acceptable in your reality that you're creating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is what I mean by holding those high standards. Mm -hmm. Let's say that. Yeah. Let's use that word. Yeah. I like that. And, 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 <laughs> and it is very true. You know, it's our own perception, but I feel like with women or at least the circle of women that I've been around, I feel that that is kind of a negative connotation and we want to stay away because we don't want to make any noise or, or ruffle feathers. Right. And then yeah. the shield comes up immediately and we're not receptive to the message. So, yeah. you know, instead of, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just speaking for, for myself. And I know that and it's also a good conversation to have so you can understand, so you can come to understanding with women um, about what their meaning is mm -hmm. behind the words that they use. Words, words are so limiting. They can, they can go in one direction or another. There's one woman who might hear, oh, she's high maintenance, so oh, I like her. You know, she's, she's got standards. You know, maybe yeah. there's another woman that says she's high maintenance. That means she's demanding or bossy or needy or... Um, uh, you know, needs a lot of attention or um, needs a lot of money and such. I have lived on $1,200 a month and I have lived on $6,000 a month. And I have been the same person mm -hmm. in both of those lifestyles. Really, it doesn't change me. Yeah. Um, the material and the physical. And yeah. So that's one thing you wanted to talk about. Then the other yeah. question you had? Well, other question, I just wanted to see um, how you broke the lineage pattern uh, in, your, in, the, in the women in your family. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'll, re so I'll guess I'll return to that story. Okay. So as a child, here you are, you have these experiences of loss. You, you, you experience love and then you experience loss. Mm -hmm. Right, and it's part of being human. Um, there came a time when I was from 15 to 18 where I realized I was self actualizing and, and becoming independent from my mother. A very another very traumatic thing happened at 17. I was breaking up with a boyfriend who had cheated on me with two of my very close friends. Um, and we had been together two years when we broke up, he manipulated me into having another sexual experience with him before he went off to go work in Alaska. So I got pregnant. Oh, wow. And, um, at 17 years old, you're, I was preparing for college. I was going to Hawaii Pacific university to study marine marine biology. Mm -hmm. I'd worked very hard to get the grants and the loans because I came from a single mother home, very impoverished. And I worked very hard to get to those grants and loans. And 
I decided that um, I would have an abortion instead of having the child and giving it up for adoption. And my mother supported that um, most likely in the, the background was this fear that she would have to take care of me and the baby. And yeah. her and I were having a lot of struggles, mm. teenage mother daughter struggles. And so she encouraged it, but it was extremely severely traumatizing for me. Um, I felt that baby. I saw the baby on the ultrasound. I saw it being torn apart mm -hmm. and it imprinted something in my mind at 17 years old. That was a self-loathing. That was a, a self-hatred. And it carried on until I was 33 years old. So again, from 17, 18 years old, I went to college. I put on the mask. I put on the happy face. Mm -hmm. I finished my first year of college. I made lots of friends. I was very successful in my education, you know, got mostly good grades. And then I went back home to California and couldn't afford to go back to Hawaii. So I didn't let that stop me. I decided to create a new dream. Okay, the, the Hawaii Pacific dream was somewhat dead in the water. I couldn't mm -hmm. afford to go back. It was $50,000 a year to go to this school. All of the student grants and stuff ended. My mother mm -hmm. started making more money. She made, instead of 24,000 a year, she graduated with her bachelor's degree and made 40,000. So the grants and loans ended and I mm -hmm. couldn't go back. It was a heartbreak. Yeah. I had friendships. I had a boyfriend. I had life there, mm. nine months of living there. So I ended up going into uh, a mindset that was like, everything that comes at me as a defeat is going to strengthen and empower and fuel my victory, my success. I'm not going to let any obstacles stop me. So mm -hmm. I started searching for new ways, how What's the newest, what's the new way that I can create a vision of a bigger life and get out of this kind of poverty and my mother having dysfunctional relationships with men that affected me. Then I was starting to take on some of those patterns. Yeah. So I went to LA and started doing stunt work, modeling, acting, fitness modeling, things like that from the age of 20 until 24. And again, recognized a dream as a performance artist. I was dancing out of the womb. I mean, since four years old, I had done a lot of gymnastics. So I created a new dream and I started living that dream. Then by 24, I recognized the lifestyle of Los Angeles was not healthy for somebody in, in, my, in my state of mind. Mm -hmm. Because because I hadn't healed those childhood losses and that belief that I was unlovable. So if I was going into the Hollywood thing, I would probably get devoured by that machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I sensed it at 24 years old, a victim going into Hollywood just stays a victim. It doesn't yeah. matter how much fame, success, or money, you have to heal that psyche. You have to purge and purify your heart then you can become famous, then you can have success yeah. and it's not going to hurt, harm you or potentially lead you off on a path that could be extremely dangerous. And mm -hmm. um, we can see examples of this in people like Britney Spears, so pure when she came into the industry and now 
very dysfunctional pattern after pattern of repeating dysfunctional mm -hmm. relationships and alcoholism and drug addiction and all of that. And I knew somehow at 24 years old, I was at risk for that happening. So I went to college and became a nobody. I was working at Fox Sports. I was on Maxim Magazine. I had this, you know, full page spreads. I was wow. in fitness magazines. I was um, getting ready to become a series regular on a comedy sketch. Mm -hmm. I was lined up to be like the next Jenny McCarthy, right? This sex symbol who was goofy and playful. And, and it was, you know, the claws were almost there. You know, the little yeah. claw machine, like they mm -hmm. almost yeah. got me. And, um, and I, 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 I bailed out and my soul was guiding this absolutely so that I wouldn't become a victim, so that the, the spider web that was being cast wouldn't completely grab me like I was a fly that freed itself, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I went and finished my bachelor's degree because I had the voice of reason. Like if anything happens, you really wanna have a bachelor's degree to fall back on as being educated, being able to make your own living. So you're not living off of any system or any man getting married or any of that. So I went back to get the bachelor's degree in health education and exercise physiology. And it was a whole new world. It was like a different life. Again, mm -hmm. another mm -hmm. big change yeah. and adaptation to a different kind of style of life. So this is the answer to your question, mm -hmm. is reinvention and fearlessness. That's how I broke the victim pattern. Yeah. Constantly reinventing my, like diversifying my experiences and being really open to learning from lots and lots of different sources. Mm -hmm. So that's what creates a multidimensional person personality mm -hmm. um, is not identifying with like one group and then just staying yeah. in that identity but changing your identity, shape-shifting and moving about the world to explore different types of people, different types of lifestyles, different types of careers. I've lived many careers in one. By the age of 25, I had already had three careers. Mm -hmm. Well, those are very wise decisions at a very early age, many of them. And so that makes me wonder when you say, you know, when you hit another block instead of retracting, which a lot of women keep keep doing that is just give up, right? Um, there's not that drive to push through. So what is it inside that fuels you to do that? And I think this, my I speak for myself, it's, um, and that's why I call this uh, podcast the name addicted to the man, because I feel like if there there's not that male figure or male energy behind me, then I completely retract and, and just go back to my little shell. And I, what I want to do is find that within myself to be able to push through that and expect more for my life. So what is it that, you know, made you not give up? With, with these experiences that you had? What do you feel that that was the fuel for you? Hmm. I relied a lot on relationships 
And I think I had a natural ability to transmute my pain. So to take the pain and use it like fertilizer, Mm -hmm. instead of using the pain like weights that I tie down to myself or, you know, bindings. Yeah. I mean, there was some bondage happening, right? Because I was, I was definitely in my pain body till I was 33 and operating from my pain body, just like many women are. Yeah. I, I wasn't immune to that, but I had a special belief in myself. And it came, I think, from that needing to shut off the, the, the stepfather's energy and put the shield up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to tell me who I am. He's not going to tell me that I'm a bad girl. He's not going to tell me that I'm, uh, you know, that he would control me. So then I took back that control by putting those, those um, energetic, it's like armor, mm-hmm. uh, but it was semi-permeable, right? I would let certain people in if I needed to use that relationship to learn lessons. Okay. And that discernment comes if people who have experienced trauma know they go into a room and they look around and they say, where's the door? Where's the bathroom? And who's safe and who's not safe? You're constantly analyzing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. analyzing your environment. So it's really something innate. I mean, I've heard psychologists discuss this on both ends where one child in the same family goes into depression yeah. and, and, you know, a narcissist mother or an abuser father, they go into a depression, they get weakened. They can't, they have no motivation. They're terrible in their grades in school and they just shrivel. And then there's another kid in that same family who's overachiever proving their self all the time. They get to a place where they're successful, but at some point, both of those identities and characters break. Mm-hmm. Now society accepts the one that's the A-type personality overachiever a lot more than the one that withdraws. So they're equally experiencing that pain. And the how, if you want to know the how, it's a reliance on my soul's voice and God. I can tell you my entire life, I have gotten on my knees when I've been in broken moments and I have asked for help. I have a very good ability to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And that can be from strangers. It doesn't have to be a family member. Like say you keep going to this well and you're trying to drink this fresh water and you want this relationship in your family to give you your emotional needs, you know, help you meet your emotional needs. Yeah. And they're not. And every time you keep going there, you're getting more disappointed and more disappointed. I don't see that as you're a victim of this person. I see that as you're victimizing yourself. It's an yeah. addictive pattern to that disappointing feeling, that feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that brings me to another question. Um, so your work in, in the world right now, what you're offering. So I wonder if uh, you offer any modalities or any practices that will help you to be able to transmute these, these pain, uh, pain body or this painy pain feelings, and then transmute it into something that actually fuels you forward. Is this something that you offer in your practice? Yes. Yes. Um, The 
the one thing I brought to share is, and I know everybody has seen one of these before. Yes. Sound. Mm -hmm. Right inside here we have we have Ganesh, the remover of obstacles, yeah. right? And I'm not a huge Hinduism fan or anything. I don't worship the deities, but mm -hmm. I appreciate the myth, the mythos of these identities, these lower ego identities of a of a of a god. I believe in one god, Ikonkar, in the Kundalini tradition, which I'm certified in. We believe Ikonkar. There's one god, and this is the one source of of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so sound. Sound connects us to universal consciousness, and that transcends all words, all conversation. Mm -hmm. So when we tap into mantra, and my preference is the Sikh mantras, um, Sikhism is a religion that was founded 7,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago in the Kashmir region of India. Mm -hmm. And um, that language is sacred sound. So Sat Nam means truth is my identity. So it's connecting you when you chant that, when you sing it, when you repeat it, connecting you with truth. With the truth, truth is not uh, subjective. Truth is truth. Mm -hmm. It really truly is. You don't have my truth and then your truth. We have yeah. perspectives. Mm -hmm. But truth is truth. And it can connect you to that when you sing and you chant mantra. Then I love studying ancient languages because I think that modern language has really distorted um, the ability for us to connect. Whereas song and circle, ceremony, mm -hmm. ritual is a way of us connecting where we remove the ego and we remove uh, the the, the, the analyzing, the, mm -hmm. the different uh, ways of perceiving word. So I like what helped me the most when I went through my dark night of the soul at 33 years old, which was not long ago, I'm 41. What helped me the most was to get out of my conversations and relationships and withdraw mm -hmm. into the sound of the nod. I spent hours and hours and hours and everybody that I spent time with for those, you know, years of initiation, 33 until I was about 35, two years, mm -hmm. it was purely five hours a day of mantra, 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 yoga, 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 meditation, meditation. So my addiction to relationship and attention and success became an addiction to Kundalini yoga. Okay. That's a healthy addiction. Mm -hmm. It's a healthy addiction. Mm -hmm. Do I want to stay there? No, but I used it as a um, launch pad, as a jumping point to return myself to myself. Mm -hmm. And that was my path. And Reiki training, I learned from a doctor because I was in pharmaceutical sales at the time. 
So I knew a lot of doctors um, and she recommended that I go to this Reiki training and I just instantly felt my true gifts coming through, through my voice, through my hands. Mm. And I started to recognize I have these, these, these abilities that I've, these powers that I've been misusing. Mm-hmm. So in my practice, I teach people how to sing the song of their soul. I call it a womb song. And we use what came to me, um, Yeshua Elohim. So we use that as the mantra. And then Milit Minbisha. And these are light language sounds or cosmic sounds that have a, they carry a certain vibration. Mm-hmm. And to me, that puts you out of, it puts you in your frontal lobe and it takes you out of the subconscious animal reptilian brain. And it just quiets that animal part of the mind. And you go on an inward journey to the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. And you can balance your limbic system, your emotional system of your brain that way. And you can find the quiet, neutral space where you actually can make really powerful decisions for yourself. And you tend to help others too, because you, 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 I ended up having access to what I call clairnostic abilities, Mm -hmm. which means the clear knowing of God or God consciousness. Clairnosticism is clear knowing. And so it's above like hearing angel voices or um, clairaudience or clairvoyance where you see colors. It's a little step above that because it's literally instant lightning speed awareness. Mm -hmm. So the mantras, the Kundalini yoga, the Reiki practices helped me to develop that within myself. I spent a lot more time alone. Mm -hmm. I disconnected from needing to have all of these relationships and exciting experiences and I connected in, in, in my inner world for hours and hours and hours. Then my crazy soul, she is out there when she gives me tasks. She brought me to Utah. And in Utah, I learned about the Latter-day Saint culture, the religion. I did a deep study and I stopped giving my body away. Mm-hmm. I recognize my body as a temple through that journey. Now I'm not encouraging people to go and do the journey I went on and get baptized in the Latter-day Saint church and teach mm-hmm. Kundalini yoga to like extremely conservative Christians. That's just, that was just my path, but it, it helped me to reparent myself when I got to see examples in this world of mothers and fathers that weren't dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. of mothers and fathers that had a focus on the children and the, and the purity and the innocence and the protection of children. So I like extracted the light from that experience in 2015, 2016, I had a near death experience. I got poisoned in my apartment with formaldehyde was being slowly mummified. And there is no way I would have endured that without PTSD, severe PTSD after mm-hmm. all of those um, experiences that I've had with nearly dying in many different ways, um, unless I had that inner, that inner compass, that mm-hmm. inner voice. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult for me to tell you how I did it and tell you, you should do it this way. Mm-hmm. I, because everyone has their different modalities they're drawn to. 
but we all benefit from withdrawing within in whatever way that works for you, whether it's through prayer and meditation or going into nature, whatever way, um, be vigilant in finding it mm-hmm. and distractions will come. You know, yeah. the world is full of distractions right now. <laughs> full. Yeah. So that brings me to my last question. So the services that you offer, do you customize to your clients? Because when I'm listening to, to some of some of this and when you do the sound healing, right? Mm-hmm. For it to make impact in you, you kind of have to be connected to your body, connected, right? But Absolutely. so many of us are so disconnected. I can speak for myself very, very disconnected. So, you know, what do you say to those people who are out there like, I don't know where, I don't know, I can't, I can't feel anything. I can't hear anything. I cannot, they cannot even start hearing anything. So how would you start with a person like that? Hmm. My main goal in the beginning of working with with women is to listen and to like hold space and Mm -hmm. and ask questions that elicit their truth and it really does feel like you're leading a horse to water psychologically mentally energetically Mm -hmm. because you have to use subtle cues to help the person with that's with you to to like a rose and you can't force the rose to bloom. Yeah. So with women embodying, singing, um, laying on the earth, earthing, grounding, mm-hmm. um, my aerial yoga hammock that I use, I do Kriya or Kundalini in the hammock. That's a beautiful way to get in touch with your body. Mm-hmm. And then breathing Um, Anyone that has ever done trauma healing or worked with people in trauma healing, breathing, listening, um, you know, being held, even when you're in your negative emotions, that is extremely empowering. When somebody can, when you're like yelling at them or you're like criticizing them and they just sit there and they just kind of take it, they don't go, they don't take it internally, but Mm -hmm. they just Mm -hmm. listen and reflect I see that this is how you're feeling and these are the thoughts you're having. That is how you embody because um, bobblehead spirituality doesn't really work. Like meditating your way where you're just always up here. And I did that with Kundalini yoga. I went to the extreme of that Mm -hmm. where, you know, you wear the turban and you barely eat and you lose all this weight and you're super skinny, skinny, skinny yogi. Like I went there mm-hmm. and it was a phase in the, it's like a fast, you fast from being a consumer, right? Mm-hmm. But you aren't meant to stay there. Yeah. Then the next transition is, okay, I'm, I'm, I've stripped away this energy and that's, you strip, you have to purge, you have to clean, you have to strip. I mean, I've used ayahuasca, I've used San Pedro, I've used 
uh, combo, which is a frog poison medicine, mm -hmm. and lots and lots of vomiting in these situations. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots and lots of vomiting, but you're not just vomiting, like purging your organs from the emotions, the negative emotions you carried from past lifetimes mm -hmm. that are stored in your DNA, that are stored in your liver, that are stored in your kidneys, your ovaries, your womb. Mm. For me, I had to work with each organ system individually for like a year. Wow. And this now, where I'm at now, is the womb. Mm -hmm. And once you've cleared out all the other places and then you get to that, that, that temple of the Holy Grail, there's a completion feeling, there's a groundedness, and that's when you get embodied. So, I mean, this is, this is a warrior's path for women who are ready for embodiment. Yeah. It's a warrior's path. It's a consistent, dedicated focus devotion you have to have to yourself mm -hmm. and not in a selfish way. Yeah. I love to hear what you just said. I love that because I, I love that you're able to hold this container, right? The safety also. And that's very important. And that's how you connect. That's how you share your vulnerability, right? It's not, sometimes we think sharing vulnerability is just talking about our shortcomings. That's not it. It's just being able to hold this space even for someone to, to be able to express themselves. Like you said, they're angry they're, and you just sit there. So I'm really happy to hear this because this makes me very excited. And I want people to know how to get in touch with you and how to get, get working on themselves. Wonderful. So share, yeah. Thank you. Um, if you'd like, if you'd like to set up a discovery call, it's a 15 minute um, conversation mm -hmm. and I give you a personalized Kriya mantra. Depends on if, if you're really awkward with singing, I don't ever make you sing. If, you, if you're really awkward with it, we can just give you the breath work or we can just, that's why I love Kundalini yoga. Cause you've got breath work, you've got mantra, you've got just movement. If you just want to do movement mm -hmm. and we give you a personalized um, 40 day practice that you can do. And then the discovery call is really short just to listen to the why you're seeking self-development. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what catalyzed that, that way it, we're, we're upholding the reason, you know, because I think that spirituality, when you're doing personal development, it's like hopping on lily pads, Yeah. you know, um, and you can join me at my website, jengiordano.com. That's where you can book the discovery calls. Mm -hmm. um, and that's J-E-N-G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O. Then I have two Facebook pages. One is for the aerial yoga, which I do with moms and kids. It's the more lighthearted work I do. And then one is the um, radiance technology. And that's the shamanic work and the mentoring work. Um, but my website will be the, the main place. You have a YouTube channel with Jen Giordano. Um, and then you have the two Facebook pages. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. I've simplified a little bit. 
So people don't get confused where to go to find. Yes, you can get lost in all of that. It's 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 a great place. So yeah, I encourage everyone who's listening to to go check um, out Jennifer's offerings because I'm really excited about learning more about you. I know there's so much more. I mean, we can I could I just literally had to pick just tiny bits and pieces so we get the conversation started. I hope to have you back. Um, later and talk more in depth of your experiences, your near-death experiences. I mean, you got so much to share. It's, it's <laughs> incredible. And I'm really honored that uh, you took the time to be on this, uh, and on this call and, and share your wisdom with all of us. And yeah, I thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for challenging me on those questions because they were difficult um, conversations to have. And I love having these deeper dives with women where we, we can draw out the meaning and the truth in what we're, what we're projecting to the world and then self-analyze. Am I doing this from the right place? Am yeah. I saying there's that, that little bit of confident vulnerability there that you definitely um, brought up for me? So I want to thank you. Oh, thank You're you. A heal- the- Thanks so much. All right.